So if there's a handout in the back, if you've not uh, been here, but if you have, this is our third week. We're kind of probably wrap up. We've been talking about Christian ethics and the topic of abortion. And we should be wrapping up. And then, Dave, what's next week? Homosexuality. Homosexuality will be, will be next week. So we'll be starting that up um, in the week to come. So what are let's kind of just do just a things uh, kind of walking back through. We are getting ready to talk about kind of the last of our special cases. Um, but just biblically, when we think about it, and when we talk about the, the topic of abortion, what's kind of the main points just biblically as a Christian, what are the main points that we want to have clear in our mind uh, when we're thinking about how to talk with people about abortion? If we think about how should we um, work in our culture, how should we vote? What are the things that are clear biblical principles that you guys remember? If you've been here in the first couple weeks that you remember about our discussion. Yeah, yeah. And so we talked about, if you can make that clear, simple statement, that's our main, that's our main argument. And so, do you, does anybody remember what were, what were one or two of the scriptural, where do we base that out of? Why would we say that a, an unborn child would, killing an unborn child? Is there any word abortion in the scriptures? No, we have a few. We have a few words like uh, be stillborn. We have miscarriage. We have delivery. Right. So, wh- where do we get that principle? Where do we come up with that an unborn child was a person? Exodus twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So let's flip back there. You guys remember that was a good case study from the Old Testament. Also in our handout on what page was that? Twenty, uh, page nine, I believe. Yeah. So we were reading about many different uh, laws given in the Book of Exodus. So they had laws about. And back in verse fifteen, whoever strikes his father or mother. Whoever steals a man and sells him, in verse 16. Whoever curses his father or mother, in verse 17. And then we get to this passage um, in verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. And so the main principle there is if there is harm to who? Um, the woman. The woman. And that, that was one of the theories was it was just talking about the woman. But we also talked about that there was kind of a lack of specificity. There wasn't any um, pronouns saying that if she is harmed or if the woman is harmed, if the mother is harmed. But notice how it says... Right, but if there is harm, right? If there is harm, and so you're, in, we're including the both the mother and the child that's been delivered alive. 
And one of the interesting things is that here, even if it's an accidental death, like we would say legally like a manslaughter, right, where there's no intent, the Lord still says if, the, if there's harm, you shall pay life for life. And so there's a very high value placed on the mother and, and the child. Okay. Any other scriptures you remember? I'm trying to link back to how, how you might argue scripturally that an unborn child is a human or a person life. And what was that one? Yeah, yeah. So we can see in both Old Testament and New Testament, there's several places. So we've got in Luke, where we've got Mary and Elizabeth. We've got here in uh, Genesis 21. You also have, uh, like in Psalm, Psalm 139, where David's talking about how all, how intimately God was involved in him in the womb, in his creation, in his forming. And then in the, in the New Testament, we have this establishing that through Mary and Elizabeth both, you know, the, the child in my womb. So, um, let's talk about where we were at. I think we, we were talking, we had just finished talking about uh, pregnancies caused by rape and incest. And so, um, our, the, what we had said here was that, you know, one, it's never right to commit an act of evil to achieve a good. And so, although um, there's a tremendous amount of suffering and humiliation, same in anger, that a woman would endure, um, it would never be right to follow that with another act of evil and, and take the child's life. And uh, so let's talk about, um, what about if there's fetal handicaps? Okay, this is kind of where we maybe ended last time. So what do you guys think? What are some of the things that parents might find out about their unborn child that might cause them to consider Abortion, and this is—you may have known people or heard stories where they find out. What are some things that can? Deformities. Yeah. Intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Down syndrome. Okay. And uh, so it can be—it can be one possibility is that a doctor can say, you know, you may want to consider aborting this child because of why. What's the what's the reasoning? What's the justification? Yeah, they're making a, a decision, right, that says, you know, it may be better not to have this child at all than to have this lower quality of life. Okay. So what do you think, right? How would we respond to that? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like right now they know if they're going to have a boy or a girl. Yeah. 
when I was pregnant with my son, it was going to be one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that. Yeah. And if they were going to be handicapped, mm -hmm. they didn't have tests like that. Yeah. Back. yeah. You know, like I said, you got what you got. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, you accepted it. The, the role of technology, it, it has shaped in many ways um, the way we view abortion. And, and one of the ways in which it's um, positively shaped it is that um, there's a much different view upon the humanity and the personhood of uh, what an unborn child is like with the ability to see inside the womb through a lot of the ultrasound technology is that now it's, it's no longer a clump of cells and it's that's a very hard defense to make when you can see inside and, and I ask some people a mm -hmm. question that just totally takes me back if abortion had been legal when your mother had you would you be here that is something to think about mm -hmm. because some of us actually would not be here if it had been legal. Yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to the issue we're talking about with quality of life, um, oftentimes uh, people who might persuade or seek to persuade someone um, to terminate or to have an abortion, um, it, they're talking about a, a case or scenario where they may not have, that may not describe them in the sense where oftentimes whatever the quality of life is that you're willing to abort is not doesn't fit your description. Not often the, the argument is made that if they were like, more like me, if they were healthy, if they were this or that, then their life would have greater, greater worth to that. Yeah? Yeah, I worked in pediatric long-term care, and I saw kids with a heart defect waiting for heart, for informed heart defects, and I saw kids that couldn't talk, mm -hmm. couldn't walk, and their parents, like, determining that they're not worthy to be there on earth, they didn't want to get a dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the main parts that we'll talk about. And this is actually something that bridges over into some of our other Christian ethics talks. When we talk about um, end of life or euthanasia, it's what's, uh, there's some different categories in terms of if you have a, a, a young a baby, um, what are you obligated to do in terms of, or what are you prohibited from doing? So we want to say we're prohibited from ending the life, right? Our goal is to end the life. Um, but then it's sometimes there's issues that we can't necessarily control or keep from happening and the child may end up dying. And are we um, obligated to take you know, the heroic measures where we talked about, should we deny ourselves chemotherapy if we've got uterine cancer? So um, quality of life is something where, again, it's, we want to take that out of the picture in the sense of letting God yeah. be the one. That, yeah, I think a lot of times we do talk about the quality of life for the child um, what that really means is my quality of life and caring for the child. Yeah. And I, I think we live in a, in a day and age where um, I define my own identity, expressive individualism, mm -hmm. and a very me-centered individualistic view of the world. And anyone 
who can damage that. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of times I think people have children because mm -hmm. it's, it's a vanity project. Yeah. Um, I want to have a little me. Mm -hmm. And when it's very clear that that's not going to be the case, that this child will demand my sacrifice, I'll get attached, I'll be hurt. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're walking into suffering, yeah. which is what you're doing when you know you're going to have a Down syndrome. Right. I mean, there is suffering there. Mm -hmm. um, it is a step of faith to do it, but it is a... Yeah, I think uh, the fact that people are so quick to want to get rid of them is a sign of a, of a very individualistic and I'd say self-centered Mm -hmm. um, culture instead yeah. of wanting to die to themselves and that's why you find uh, parents of these children um, you know there's a kindness there's a sacrifice all of that you know, it, it really brings out the best in mm -hmm. them because it pushes against that and yeah. helping people see that is difficult yeah and one one thing that we see in more and more like in that idea of the kind of the, the me-centered and is that when you think about the value of the child, right? What, why does its life have value? Um, we have a very clear, right? It's an image bearer. And so that's a very, very distinct way in which it doesn't depend upon us to determine or add value, and it doesn't depend on the child or its quality of life. And so um, many times, right, what, what determines a person? Do they have kind of this self-awareness, right? There's many, many different measures that people will um, add to like determine, does this is, this, is this a person? And that the dehumanizing of people is usually this, the main step between allowing us to, yeah. to take the life of someone. And so, in, you know, we, we often make the comparison, but if you look at those who are weak, those who are sick, those who are ill, those who are old, right, if we can find a way, or even outside of that, um, if you think about different races, right, throughout time, if we can make them somehow define as different and not human or different than us, if they're not a person, then that gives us the justification to, to take their life. Yeah. And, and that is where, like, the logic of that argument ends up. Because if we have if we have the right to define personhood, right, mm -hmm. and we have the right to define who gets to live and who doesn't get to mm -hmm. live, that's how you get eugenics. That's yeah. how you get gene cleansing. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of the a lot of those who champion the birth control and abortion movement mm -hmm. at the beginning in America were very pro eugenics as well. Mm -hmm. And and I mean Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned mm -hmm. was explicit about that. Mm -hmm. um, just a, a rabid racist, evil woman. Mm. Uh, and that's where that's where this kind of logic ends up. And I don't think a lot of people who make these kinds of arguments when it comes to babies in the womb mm -hmm. understand that. There's an inconsistency. Yeah, and it's it's really shocking. Uh, you guys, Dave and Becky loaned me this, this book, Love They Body, and it's um, there's a chapter in there that talks about this defining a personhood. There's a section and it talks about how if you come from like this uh, kind of materialistic evolutionary it's like they, they have a two stage right there's your body and then you should, there's like the mind and the person that kind of operates this 
just physical mass. And they, they separate this out to where, you know, a baby, it's a human body, but it hasn't developed its mind, its thoughts, its intellect. And there's, it's shocking to me, there's many different people that are quoted in there as saying, you know, really, uh, even like the whole infanticide argument, that a baby's still not really a person yet, that you ought to be, and they would argue you ought to be able to end its life. And people are, oh, up to one, up to two, up to three years old. And they're, they keep giving this rationale that they don't have any self uh, self-conception or they don't perceive reality or they can't understand and since they don't know what they're missing right all the value of that the individual life of the child they would they would argue that it's only based in that person so they would say you only have the value to your life is only what you ascribe to it and so if this baby is unable to perceive itself then it really doesn't have any value there's nothing that's being yeah. lost and it's really, yeah, so, and they're, they will, they follow that logic. They're following their own train of thought and saying, well, really up to two or three years old, you ought to be able to end the life of this child for any reason. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very radically different. But that's when you, when we have this vacuum, we take out that we're image bearers, you know, and that we have innate, inalienable, inalienable rights. Again, it's. It's amazing where that will end up. It's good. Um, what do you guys? Th uh, let's t let's go through a couple of these thought questions. So in 1998, uh, there was a study from 27 countries on reasons women seek to terminate their pregnancies. Uh, some of the common factors cited to have influenced the abortion decision were a desire to delay or end childbearing, concern over the interruption of work or education. Issues of financial or relational stability, um, perceived immaturity. I tried to look and see, you know, uh, for any more recent um, uh, studies as well. One of them I found is just that much more recently there's just, uh, they just choose elective unspecified. And I think that in, in a 2023 study, 95% just said unspecified. Like they don't just didn't, didn't, didn't give a reason, just I want the abortion. And so, uh, why do you? What do you guys think? What's what are some common reasons that we talked about some of the special cases? But what do you think is the reason that it's happening? Could be, yeah. It would interfere with their career expectations or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, there's this. There is this definite sense where kind of the, the cultural lie right now is that your young years, right, your best childbearing years, those ought to be reserved for your career. And then if you want children ever, or let you, that's something for later on. Is that, is that something, I don't, I don't want to ask the men, but women, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've got a term now. Yeah. yeah. And what 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 do you think? Uh, what would you say if you're having that discussion and and maybe you're talking with a, a young woman and maybe she's contemplating a, an abortion? Just she's saying, "I want to have kids, but it's not the right time." 
for me now. If you're not able to face the responsibility, like the consequences of your actions, there's always going to be a reason for you to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a talking about just realizing that there ought to be a link between if you're we talked about how uh, we sex is linked to marriage and so we have talked about trying we don't want to break that bond but we also want to the potential for childbearing is linked with sex yeah I would imagine that um, if you're pregnant um by somebody you don't really care about, mm-hmm. one night stand or like the whole relational stability. Do I want this to be the father of my mm-hmm. my child? And the prospects of being a single mother could be one thing, or even just the shame if you come from, let's say, a religious family, mm-hmm. uh, being pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah, yeah, uh, could possibly drive that too. Yeah, there was. It surprised me that um, and I, and. It's self-reported, but many of the statistics on uh, women who who receive abortions say that uh, uh, they felt pressure from other people in their life, whether it's the father or family members, not to have this baby. And so there's a sense in which maybe you know none of maybe none of the people have like a biblical view of life and how it begins, and maybe the mother has a she's debating it, but could be that the people in her life are all pressuring her to say this is this is what you should yeah, do. Yeah, a lot of the times the boyfriends do. Yeah. Yeah. Look at let's look at James four two. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So we've been thinking about just everything that's wrong with abortion and what we ought to do. What, what are some things that we can do? I mean, how can we, what actions or steps can we take in, in our lives that can deal with these? If we think about, okay, we know abortion is wrong, okay? Number one, our first step would be not to have one. Um, but other than that, what else can we, what else can we do? topics brought up don't stay quiet yeah yeah why do you think that's so important um because i mean in that instance you might be one of the only people who might like be able to talk about like especially uh, or if you're in an area where you're probably one of the only christians then you might be one of the only people who's going to speak up and Mm -hmm. um Give them that information on your, that side, that view of it instead. Yeah. It's really certain, our culture at least, like, people are starting to develop ideas without studying it for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they just take what's given to them. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't hear any opposing views. Mm-hmm. They don't really study the information for themselves, so they don't really see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sense in which... When you're, depending on the size of the disparity between, say, you're the only person with the Christian worldview, 
sometimes when you're when there's a you're a small minority in the sense where the the opposing views they understand at least um, they've heard your view they've heard your argument and they kind of have their own justification as to okay why why they disagree and they might have ways to think through oh okay they have to deal with your objections and so there may be times where we're reaching a place where if they never hear those objections the the steps in which that logic carries them go further and further because there's no one to voice out the actual objection that they they can hear and so that they lose the ability to kind of self self check and hear the how crazy some of the the things are that they they would say yeah, Actually, it just breaks down to being either a moral person or an immoral. Because sex out of marriage is being immoral. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't do it unless you're willing to face the consequences. Mm -hmm. And most people just don't even think of that. And pastors said something about being a, a a stigma to being an unwed mother. Mm -hmm. I have noticed personally as an elder female person that there is less and less stigma to that situation mm -hmm. than there used to be. Mm -hmm. A lot more people just accept it and say, mm -hmm. so what happened? Yeah. And just they're more accepting of unwed mothers then mm -hmm. like especially back when I was young mm -hmm. it was just yeah you know usually the girl was sent off someplace yeah. to well in one sense in, the, in those times there the the social view of, of unwed pregnancy but even now it's the view of like you said uh I think I remember what you said it like deal with the consequences. Like sometimes there's this view that children are a burden, like they they're cramping your mm -hmm. your identity in the sense. So one of the things I think that we can do, they're speaking out, but there's also just having a high value and seeing children mm -hmm. as a blessing. Yeah. That when people have children, it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing to everyone, to the family. It's a blessing to the mother. It's a blessing to the father. And I think that's something where I don't know, it's similar to me and you think about how, how, what a good thing marriage is, but in our culture often it's very commonplace for people to run down their marriage, their spouse, and uh, you know, it's just negative complaining. And so Christian spouses can really uh, show a difference by highly valuing speaking well of their spouse. And same way with children. If we have a view where children are a wonderful blessing from the Lord, not not a burden that can be one one thing we could do what else other things yeah I, I was gonna say I, I've seen um, when it comes to certain social and political issues which abortion is mm -hmm. it's many different things but it is that um, one of the things I've been really concerned about is the attitude of conservative Christians towards those on the other side. Mm -hmm. And there almost becomes this us versus them, mm -hmm. they are the enemy. 
mm-hmm. kind of mentality. And we're in a fight, and we have to we have to conquer them. Mm-hmm. And while there is a, you know, we do not fight against flesh and blood. There is a, there is a war, spiritual war, mm-hmm. going on in our world and in our society, and that's true. Those people are not ultimately the problem. It's it's the it's the belief system that they've adopted, mm-hmm. and our attitude towards them should not be I need to defeat you and what mm-hmm. you believe, but I we ought to have a heart of love and compassion for those people because they're deceived. Not only people yeah. who get abortions, but people who support it. Um, there, you know, there's. There's a right place, I think, for, for anger towards evil mm-hmm. and, uh, and even towards those who, who um, actively and knowingly advance evil. Mm-hmm. There are still ought to be a heart of compassion towards those people to have the seed yeah. and that they're a soul that is going to spend eternity somewhere. Mm-hmm. And even if we fix their view on abortion, if they're still going to hell, then mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. done our job completely. And so we have to, yeah, I think that that needs to play into it. And I've just seen a lack of that in mm-hmm. a lot of conservative Christians where the issue becomes so important that they lose sight of mm-hmm. what this person needs to be down in their soul. What if society right. Yeah, and I think well, we might talk about this, you know, when we get to the next topic as well. Um, when you want to talk about homosexuality, I think there's and there's an, an in- interesting, maybe slight difference in the sense there, when you're talking with um, people with a different sexual ethic, um, whether it's uh, gay, homosexual, transgender, you're the person that you're persuading is also the person that's kind of suffering from their own. Choices, whereas in abortion, it's but you're trying to persuade the the person who's perpetrating the evil, suffering from the evil. But there's also this innocent person that you're not persuading that's also kind of at stake. And so there is a a difficult balance in which I think we see both cases where it's a very hard balance to to speak as clearly as to people about how wicked and evil what they're doing is in a way that says that we're doing we're saying this because we care about you and about about this this unborn child and oftentimes we fail on one of those two we're either too soft out of grace and compassion to point out how wicked what they're doing is or we are clearly portraying what they how wicked they are without trying to communicate the yeah i would say don't undersell the importance of crisis pregnancy centers mm-hmm. i mean people tend to they don't necessarily, an unwed mother or expectant mother doesn't sit back and considers the ethical implications of either choice and decide what to go with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. she's already like bypassed, you know, that kind of logic with some of her previous decisions, for mm-hmm. instance, right? And so, um, what you want to do is come alongside of her and make it less scary. Mm-hmm. Um, let it be known that having a baby is an option. Mm-hmm. That abortion isn't the only option, right? And that's right. what society tells them. This right. is what you must do. This is the only option available to you. But there's other options there. And um, yeah, I mean, and just save one baby at a time. 
Yeah. See what you could do. Yeah, and again, I think we talked about it last week that um, for every child that's placed in an adopted family, there's 36 couples waiting yeah. to adopt. It's one to 36. And that uh, the current stats are, it's hard to tell exactly, but there's roughly, we're down from the high in the 90s of 2 million to around a million abortions. And there's roughly 2 million families waiting to adopt a child. So there is no lack of homes waiting for these babies. So that's an, often an argument that's thrown out, well, this child, there's no home, there's no family, no one would take care of it. And that's just not true. So when you think about things you can do, um, you know, we talked about this at home with our kids. And, you know, although we, we aren't actively out searching, you know, um, like many families, I think if someone said, you know, I have this baby, um, I don't want to raise it, we would be e- eagerly just say, well, we would be happy to you know, take this child. And I think there's many couples that are in that position, too. That's one thing you could do. Just be aware if you if you know someone if you know a young woman you know that's that's a big maybe a big offer but if if that's something that you're able to do that that's a, a big step that you can take it's just be a family that's willing to take you know a child if if it's if it's warranted if it's there's a place um, what it, there's a couple this is something where sometimes people would say. I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I can't make that decision for someone else. I mean, what would you say in response? That's, I don't think we should do it. I'm not gonna do it, but I, that's not my decision for that person. I think they're more scared of what people are gonna say. Like, they're more scared of like, oh, it might hurt this relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if having a conversation about that topic hurts that relationship with that person, but ultimately you further the kingdom of God, then it's like, you know, outweigh the benefits versus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you could you could carry the same argument that are you personally opposed to murder? Yes. Okay. Well are you willing to argue that other people ought not murder? Yes. Okay, well let's fall through that that same now this is a tricky one um, in some senses should our goal as Christians be simply to reduce the number of abortions what do you think Chris I think our goal is to save them right So that, that we talked about this the other week is that our goal is not to just reduce them, right? The goal is to eliminate. Um, but sometimes that can be, there can be the choice of if we're thinking about the, how are we going to do that? Um, and if you're, there's sometimes some disagreement and some arguing between, let's say there's a law that goes up and it's going to, you know, eliminate 90%. It's going to make 90% of the abortions that are currently legal illegal. But it would legally protect 10%. That's an ethical question. What do you guys think? Would you would you vote for that? Would you not? What's some reasoning behind it? I personally want to look at, like, um, the writing of, like, the, leg- like the thingy that went out. Mm-hmm. Because, like, sometimes it can be, like, this is, like, permanent unless we overturn it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's no way to eliminate that 10%. Mm-hmm. And then 
but then if there is like some wiggle room where like something could be um, placed after that to help eliminate that 10%, then I would want to vote for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if it's like stuck, it's done, like amending the Constitution, yeah. like I would not want to yeah, vote that's for a good that point. because then we could be stuck there. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to that 10%? Yeah. What else do you guys think? It's good. Yeah, it like all comes down to the heart. So like no amount of legislation will change the heart behind mm-hmm. what people are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like if you outlaw guns, there's still gonna be murder. Yeah. Because it's all from the heart. So we've been given the ministry of like reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So we're not gonna change anything mm-hmm. unless we change people's hearts. Yeah. I think that's hard. Sometimes that's hard. Like I think to what Tanner was saying, sometimes we get so involved in trying to win the political or the debate or the legislative that we kind of overestimate the power of what those things, those systems can do, although they're still good goals to have and good goals to work towards. Any other? Well, okay. Uh, I do want to read through the conclusion here and then look at one of the appendix here, I think, which could be helpful. So we've read about how God's word clearly teaches that abortion is murder of the worst kind. It's termination of the innocent life. And for those who have had an abortion, we don't let God's displeasure towards this sin drive you away from the cross. Right? All of us have, in a certain degree, committed murder. We think about Jesus' sermon on the mount with anger. Paul himself assisted in the murder of innocent Christians. We know that Moses, um, before he fled into the desert, committed murder. It is abhorrent to God, but he has a grace and mercy that we talked about earlier to, to forgive. And one of this last bit of argument is kind of that, maybe emerging as a little bit more of an argument where people are no longer rejecting that um, that a, a, they're not using the clump of cells, it's just a fetus. They're acknowledging that an unborn baby is a, a child. It is a human, sometimes even a person. It is a person, but, right, and they're, they're coming up with justification. So you may have, read, may have heard this or read this, but so this was by um, Judith Jarvis Thompson's Defense of Abortion. So this is her scenario. She asked the reader to imagine awaking to find that he or she is in bed with a famous violinist who is unconscious. The violinist has a fatal kidney ailment, and only you have the right blood type to help. Therefore, while you slept, his blood was passed through your system to cleanse it. To unplug him would kill him. You express your displeasure with the setup, but are advised that it will only take nine months to complete your task. Thus, the question you are faced with is simple. Since all persons have a right to life, are you morally obligated to spend the next nine months of your life keeping this world-famous violinist alive? So that's her description in her scenario. She said, no, you're not, you're not obligated to. Her claim is that even if the fetus has a right to life, the mother's right to control her own body outweighs. It's a greater right than the right of the child. The mother and the child are not seeking control of a body that has unfortunately been rendered uh, to both of them, rather, the mother is the one who owns the house. The child is the intruder. Judith Thompson has tried to use this argument to support women's right to do what she wants with her own body. So you can see a difference in the view of 
it's not really the child is a blessing. It's you have this intruder that's yeah. come into your home, and the mother is the one who has the right to defend herself against. Um, so let's kind of pick pick the pick the uh, argument apart. So a couple things to notice, right? The violinist is a stranger, but the unborn child is not. They are blood relatives. Right? And we're, there's several listed here, but what are some things just thinking through? What are, what are some key differences where you'd say, well, this doesn't really describe um, a pregnant mother? I mean, the whole intruder part. It's like opening your door, having someone come in, and you're like, you're an intruder. Like, it's, like, it's like people don't know how biology works. Like, if you're mm. sex, you have that possibility mm-hmm. of becoming pregnant. That's mm-hmm. something you can sense through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was I was surprised that um, many there was a statistic in I think in this in this book that um, a, a significant portion of women who uh, go in for abortions often would say that they were actively on birth control, and so that I think sometimes we might uh, be surprised at how many pregnancies maybe they so they might make the argument well I I didn't open the door you know so in their mind. They want to clearly have a distinction between sex and say, I ought to be able to have sex with 0% chance of mm-hmm. an abortion, or sorry, of a pregnancy. So we talk about, like, uh, I'm a health and physical education major, and we, when we talk about like contraceptives and that stuff, none of those are 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's why like, um, part of our goal is to let people know about that. It's like when, at the, when you sign up to have sex with a um, an individual of the opposite sex, then you sign up to have may possibly have a baby because mm-hmm. there's nothing is a hundred percent chance that mm-hmm. you will not have a baby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also and I can't I can't speak to this part. It says uh, but in the in the scenario the woman is stuck in bed for nine months straight, but in a pregnancy, I, I mean. That doesn't seem to be typical. Like you can drive. You can like walk around and get out of bed and go to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I worked with a woman that was like an extremely high risk pregnancy and she was like on her feet for most of the day. Yes. Running around in circles in our pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Her baby's doing great being born, I think, this week actually. One one woman I know was out for a several mile jog before delivering on the day of the birth of one of her children. She was very active during that time. One of the key differences is that uh, notice how in her scenario they're linked together deceptively without any consent of the woman. Right? (laughs) Just she wakes up, oh what happened? Right? So this kind of goes I don't, I don't know. And so there is definitely this, this idea that any attempt to try and link sex with the possibility of childbirth, is, that's a big barrier that people are trying to break that bond. And I think in, in many people's minds, they've already broken the marriage and sex bond to say, no, they have nothing to do with one another. That's one thing. This is a totally separate thing. And so we're kind of in the era where for... Several decades, we've been trying. People have been trying to separate that out. Sex is one thing. Childbirth is completely separate decision, and the two are not linked together. 
So, uh, number four, the violinist's need for the woman's body is not something the woman is responsible for, but the woman is responsible for the life of her own child. So there's a, there's a not just a break in like how it happened, but who, who's responsible, right? In the sense that where did this life come from? In the scenario, there's this completely different life that she had no, no part or role in. And this is an interesting one. In her example, the woman could willfully unhook herself, but an abortion requires the insistence of the assistance of others. So, how does that? I mean, how does that play in to the discussion of what? What does that make abortion unique or different? She doesn't have as much autonomy as she thinks. Yeah, she can't just choose to not. Now she has to involve other people. There's another third party involvement. Uh, here's an interesting way to rephrase it, that if, if you're having this conversation, that maybe if she said, well, if she were to describe the violinist as her own son or daughter, and she only had to be hooked up at night uh, when she was asleep, um, the woman had volunteered for the procedure, right? Those more closely resemble um, a normal pregnancy, whereas without them, it's more like a, a pregnancy that's resulting from a rape, where there was no consent, there was no... Involved. Okay, number seven. Her argument about a woman's ownership of her body gives her the right to kill her baby. We have a right to our own property in this country, but we do not have a right to kill trespassers or guests whom we have invited to come onto our property. Ownership does not give us the right to kill others. On the contrary, if someone gets hurt on our property, we are held liable. I, I thought that was a particularly strong. So, like, if you guys have heard, like, Castle Doctrine, that man's home is his castle. So there's many laws that would say if a person invades your home, right? So using her scenario, right? The question is, do you have a right to take lethal action? Do you guys know what legally, whether you do or not? If they pose a lethal threat. Yeah, an imminent lethal threat, then you have justification. They're stealing the microwave. You cannot just shoot them for... <laughs> Yeah, I heard a story of a guy who was being robbed and he thought that he was protected under the castle doctrine. He's being robbed. He left his door open and he sat there with a gun. He was robbed and he killed the and he was, you know, convicted of murder because he had intentionally kind of set this trap. His life was in no danger. There was no threat from the um from the from the whatever you call that. The robbers. The perpetrator. Yeah, the perpetrator. And so even in her scenario, let's say that this unwanted guest makes its way into, you know, the womb, you know, even in that scenario of a person coming to your home, if they're there, but they're not threatening your life, you don't have the right, we don't have the right. So even for grown adults, we don't give them that right of self-defense, right? It's only for protecting the, the life. Uh, it fails to address, in number eight, a person's moral duty, right? You shall, not you shall not murder, right? First, the responsibility not to terminate life, and second, the responsibility to preserve life. So you're willfully taking the life of another. But it's one of those arguments that's, that's used. It's, and they're going to continue to develop, and they will become more and more kind of absurd. And so as you become more materialistic towards life, Yes, they're human, they have a life, they're a person. Um, that, that disagreement 
becomes at a deeper and a deeper level. And so many times, in order for it to really make sense, you have to go all the way back into man is created in the image of God. And he is the one that gives us our value. That is why all people have that right to life, to, to, to have their life valued and protected. Not because of their abilities, not because of their quality of life, not because of any value that they particularly add to it, but God adds the value to their life. Any closing thoughts? There is an appendix that uh, Dave wrote here. When were you in Hungary? When was that? 96 to 98. Yeah, if you want to read through. And there's there's some uh, yeah some striking okay. analogies. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I'm going to miss this one, but what, uh, when it comes to ectopic, please, um, what was our... So in ectopic, what we had talked about was that there's no chance for the... Um, mother and the child to live if, the, if nothing is done. And so when you remove an ectopic pregnancy, it's not, you're not taking action to, your goal is not to end the life of the child, it is to save the life of the mother. And so in cases where one or both of the uh, mother or the daughter, when one of or both life is at stake and you're taking action to save the life of one, that's morally permissible to, to take efforts to try and save either the life of the mother or the child, and there's a risk that the other will die, even if that risk is 100%. If you are saving the life of one, then that would be something that's morally, um, I would say, uh, permissible, and oftentimes, you know, if it's a 0% chance that the um, child will live, and a 100% chance the mothers die, it's almost a, um, something that you're obligated. So we did talk about how if medical technology changes and there's some way to transplant, right, then that changes our, changes our discussion. So next week, we'll talk, start on homosexuality. All right, let me pray for us. God, it's so difficult um, to, to imagine sometimes the, the places that our minds and our actions lead us to apart from knowing you and in walking in the darkness that we walk in before we knew you um, all of us would go and and do acts of great evil um, and so i pray that as we think about those around us in our co-workers our family members people in our in our city in our town our country help us to remember that except for your grace, we would be the same. We would have the same wicked mind, the same choices. And so give us great grace and compassion and also help us to speak with such clarity and such uh, a desire to proclaim the value of life, the, the value of the unborn child, the value of all people who are created in your image. Help us to know how we might um, with strength and love and, and a desire to honor you, just um, continue to be a pillar and a buttress of truth for our culture and for our society. And also just understand um, how to counsel and to talk with those who are maybe faced with this decision or impacted by this decision. And I thank you for your word and its great clarity and, its, and wisdom and pray that you might continue to Guide us as we seek to know how to use your word and understand your word and, and live our life in a way that honors you. And be with us this morning as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.